Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. 2 Kings 18 picks up with King Hezekiah coming into power in Judah. Hezekiah is a breath of fresh air. He's 25 years old. He rules for 29 years and he removes all of the high places. Yay! We have us a good king. He's not even portrayed as being a mixed king. He is all good. He removes the high places. He removes the Asherah poles. He breaks the bronze serpent, which had become an idol. He also rebels against Assyria. He refuses to pay tribute to them and he attacks the Philistines. In verses 9 through 12, we see that Assyria comes and besieges Samaria. Um, Now, in the sixth year of King Hezekiah of Judah and the ninth year of King Hosea in Israel, we see that Israel then falls. This is the northern kingdom, and they are carried off into exile by Assyria. In verses 13 through 18, we've now jumped 10 years ahead. There's a new king in Assyria, King Sennacherib, and he turns his attention back to this other part of the Hebrew people, to the to the kingdom of Judah. Hezekiah, when he comes against him, um, apologizes and begins to pay the tribute again. In verses 19 through 25, the Rabshika comes. That's a high-ranking Assyrian army officer and comes and challenges them. He ridicules their their attempt to enlist Egypt to help them rebel. He makes fun of their God and even asserts that this attack is the command of their God, that their God is not going to help them. Verses 26 through 37 show us terrified officers of Judah um, who ask um, the Rabshika to speak in Aramaic instead of Hebrew so everyone can't understand just them. But this just confirms for the Rabshika that they're concerned about what the people are going to think, and he just ridicules them further. They don't answer the Rabshika as Hezekiah has commanded them. They go back, but their fear is betrayed in the way they tear their garments in anguish. It's a sign of mourning and deep distress. Moving into chapter 19, in verses 1 through 7, we see that Hezekiah has two responses. He, too, puts on lamenting garments And he calls for Isaiah, get me a prophet. I need a word from God about this. Isaiah responds to him by saying, Sennacherib is going to go home. There's not going to be a battle. Um, There's going to be a rumor. He's going to go home and he's going to find himself betrayed when he gets there. Verses 8 through 13, we see that Assyria becomes momentarily distracted by other battle fronts. Hezekiah is warned in a letter by Sennacherib that this is only temporary. In verses 14 through 19, Hezekiah then takes that warning letter and places it before God. He calls God's attention to the mockery of the Assyrians, and he appeals to the witness that God's people are in the world. Don't let this happen to us. In verses 20 through 34, Isaiah brings God's response to King Hezekiah. He gives an oracle or a poem that you find in verses 21 through 28 against Sennacherib and the Sumerians, the Assyrians, excuse me. 
Um, he makes the prediction that Judah will last three more years here and that a, a remnant is going to be fine. Um, he affirms that Assyria will leave without attacking. It's hard now. It's going to be hard for three more years, but it's going to be okay eventually. And verses 35 through 37 show us that sure enough, um, that very night, 185,000 in the Assyrian camp are destroyed. Um, he has to go home to Nineveh, and he is assassinated there by his sons um, while worshiping in the temple of Nisroch. Ironically, the king who said that Israel's God would not protect them is himself not protected by his God. In chapter 20, verses 1 through 11, we see King Hezekiah become sick. Um, he calls for Isaiah, and Isaiah tells him to get his affairs in order. But Hezekiah begs God for pardon um, for some more time. He appeals to his faithfulness for what he's tried to do, and God relents and gives him 15 more years. Um, God will deliver Jerusalem from Assyria, and to confirm it, he actually backs the sun up 10 hours um, one of those interesting pieces of information that we are given in Scripture. Um, and it turns out that healing what's wrong with Hezekiah isn't that really difficult. All it takes is a lump of figs placed on the bull that's almost killed him. There. Verses 12 through 21. But unfortunately, after this, the king is no wiser. In fact, he may even be too confident. He shows envoys from Babylon. Babylon, all the splendors of his kingdom. He just can't resist impressing them with who Judah is. Isaiah points out that this is foolishness, that Babylon's going to come back. Now that they've seen all that we have, they're going to come back and take it, including the people. Um, Hezekiah is noted for improving the water supply of his people. And then at the end of chapter 20, he passes away. In chapter 21, verses 1 through 9, Manasseh is 12 when he is crowned king of Judah. He reigns for 55 years, and he reverses everything that Hezekiah does. He goes back to idolatry. He worships the Baals. He even engages in human sacrifice and sorcery, rebuilds the Asherah poles, and just reverses everything that his father accomplished. In verses 10 through 26, Manasseh is even more evil than the Ammonites um, who aren't even in covenant with God. So people who should have known better are worse than people who don't. Um, and so they are warned that what happened to Israel will happen to Judah if this is the course they choose. The measuring line will extend over Jerusalem um, and it will wipe them off. Jerusalem will be like water being wiped off of dishes when you're drying them. Um, the shedding of innocent blood is of special concern. And we, then we see that Manasseh dies and Ammon follows him. Ammon is 22 years old. He's only going to rule for two years. He continues what his father did. He's evil. He's assassinated by his servants. It makes it sound like the whole country can, can um participated in this conspiracy to overthrow him. Um, it's like they said, we cannot continue this trend. Like, we gotta, we got to get rid of this one. So they overthrow him, and Josiah, his son, follows. Um, Josiah is a child at this point. He's only eight years old. He's going to reign for 31 years, and he's going to be a good king. Um, he's going to be an even better king than Hezekiah was. 
he's not going to be as good as David, not going to reach that high watermark for the country, but he's going to be quite good. During this time, Hilkiah finds the book of the law. Um, Hilkiah is a high priest. He comes and he reads it to the king who becomes convicted that they are not being the people we should be, and he enacts reforms. The high priest and others go to Huldah, who is a prophetess. She pronounces judgment on Judah. Their religious practices are the opposite of what God wants, but that not during Josiah's reign. He's going to be a little breath of fresh air like Hezekiah was, a little bit of hope in there. Um, His faithfulness is going to hold off this judgment for just a bit. In chapter 23, Josiah purges the land of all illicit religion. The amount of idols and the trappings or forbidden practices are just staggering, like it's everywhere. And it takes him a while to to do all of this. But he even extends his reform beyond the territory of Judah. Um, True reform requires more than the removal of the wrong. There's a need for true religion, for the restoration of the right practices. So he commands the people to keep the Passover. This is the first time that keeping the Passover has been mentioned since the time of the judges back in Joshua 5. He reminds the people of their calling and their election, that they they have a special relationship to God. None of those are going to completely remove the consequences of the past choices. Um, We sometimes still have to live with the decisions we've already made, even while we try to make better ones. Nico of Egypt is going to attack them, and Josiah is going to be killed in battle. Verses 31 through 37, son Jehoahaz is crowned king, and he reverses all the reforms that his father made. He is um, limited in the damage that he can cause because the Egyptian pharaoh is going to confine his movements and tax him quite heavily. Jehoahaz only reigns really briefly, three little months. Nico takes Jehoahaz away and installs his brother, Eliakim, um, and changes his name to Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim continues the evil, but he's going to reign for a total of 11 years. As we move into chapter 24, judgment from Judah um, comes from King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Um, They are also attacked by the Chaldeans, the Arameans, the Moabites, and the Ammonites. So everybody around them is beginning to turn and attack them. Now, they've been under the control of Egypt, but they look like easy pickings. Once they've been conquered by one, they're simply um, a pawn to be taken, um, particularly for their fertile areas. So it, it becomes a good area that people want. Jehoiakim dies in defeat. Jehoiachin takes over. The Egyptians have faded into history at this point, and the world belongs to Babylon. They are the great empire of the world at this time. Verses 8 through 12, Jehoiachin reigns only for three months. He too is evil. He's a king in name only. The Babylonian king carries him off into exile in his eighth year. Jerusalem is then captured and plundered, and the people are all taken into captivity. So the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians, just as we started this um, chapter 23 in there. And now 
Judah, the southern kingdom, falls to the Babylonians here. Babylon sets up Mataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, as king in his place, changes his name to Zedekiah. Gets me confused. I wish they'd leave the names alone, but they don't. Um, Zedekiah, who was Jehoiachin's uncle, rules 11 years. He, too, is an evil king. Um, And yet, this is still not the full measure of judgment against them. We move into chapter 25, the last chapter of 2 Kings. Um, What little remains is now destroyed when Zedekiah tries to rebel against Babylon. There's a two-year siege against Jerusalem that ensues. This leads to famine. The soldiers who escape are captured. The army is scattered and of no use whatsoever. You got to wonder what Zedekiah was thinking. How did he think he was going to throw off Babylon? Zedekiah is captured. He's forced to watch his sons be slaughtered. And then his eyes are put out so that that's the last thing he ever sees. In the fifth month, on the seventh day of year 19 of King Nebuchadnezzar, Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is burned. The palace is burned. The entire city is torched. The walls are broken down. And all the people are taken into exile. The civil and religious leaders are killed. And the treasuries are raided. Um, At this point, the people of God no longer exist as a people. Nebuchadnezzar appoints Gedaliah as governor over Judah. The people, um, military and political people who are allowed to keep living in the area, they come to see what can be done. Gedaliah encourages them to resign themselves to serving Babylon. All we can do is try to stay alive. There is no way we're going to be able to be a country again. A couple months later, Gedaliah is killed The remaining leaders flee to Egypt out of fear for their lives. And the story ends with evil Merodach as king of Babylon. Um, 37 years, Jehoiachin is released from prison, but he's not really free. Um, He's treated kindly. He's allowed to wear regular clothes instead of prison garb. He's given an allowance to live on, and he's regularly included with the Babylonian king in meals but he's never allowed to go home to Jerusalem. All of this, that becomes a a small ray of hope right here at the end of the story that God can once again create out of nothing. Remember, that's what he did in Genesis. He created ex nihilo, out of nothing. Now that everything has been destroyed, the people have been wiped out, God is still God, and God can create out of nothing. He can do magnificent things with a small amount. Um, and with that little glimmer of hope, the story of Second Kings comes to an end.